Vibe Machine Hello and welcome to Undercovers, the podcast series where we discuss, dissect and openly show our affection for album artwork. My name is Josh Kiff and I love album artwork. I love great album covers, amazing packaging, strong designs. I love the feel of holding artwork in my hands. So this series allows me to geek out on all of that and talk to incredible artists right around the world. So if you've checked our episodes out before this, you'll know each episode is dedicated to a specific artist and we run through their work and their designs and their history, which is all really cool. But I thought moving forward, I'd make each episode a bit more bite-sized so we can dig into each section. Please let me know your feedback. You can reach me at vibemachinemedia.com or on social media and I'd really love if you could give this show a review on the iTunes store or wherever you listen to podcasts. Every review counts and I'd truly appreciate it. Okay, enough about all of that. Let's get into this next artist. Someone I feel is leading the charge as the new wave of album designers, working with the likes of 21 Pilots. I wish I found some better sounds no one's ever heard. I wish I had a better voice to sing some better words. I wish I found some chords in an order that is... Weezer? Can't Beartooth? Under Oath? The Smashing Pumpkins? I'm here to stay. And as you're about to find out, so many more. His name is Brandon Reich, and he operates a business called Tension Division. In this first part of our chat, Brandon runs through his history, which includes being in a well-known post-hardcore band himself in the early 2000s, and how that led, or that band, led to his working with other artists, and then onto album design, and so much more. Vibe. Machine. How are you today, sir? I'm fantastic, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Um, man, never a problem. Now, I've just referred to you as the new wave of album designers and artists, but you're not unfamiliar with the music industry, having created literally hundreds of shirt and merchandising designs, and you were, or you've got to correct me, you are the vocalist for the band Dead Poetic. Is that all correct? That's all correct. You can use were. You can use past tense <laughs> for Dead Poetic. I, I can't promise anything else is going to come out of that. But yeah, I definitely 100% was. And if there is a current, <laughs> then, then am. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, that ambiguity. And you never know, it might come around again. So you, you always want to say you're on hiatus. and You've never gone away. <laughs> sure. It's a real long hiatus, though. <laughs> But I, I do remember you guys because I was a huge Tooth and Nail fan back in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, when, when that whole scene was sort of exploding and and you were right there. But the first question I ask a lot of people on this podcast series is, how did you get into art and in your case, music? What came first and what led you to where you are now? Um, art was definitely first. I, um, You know, art was as natural and organic as it could have been. I think as soon as I started 
drawing at three, four years old, whatever it is, and you start realizing you really <laughs> love drawing. And, you know, for whatever reason, I would just get wrapped up and um, stuck drawing all day, every day. And it's really all I wanted to do. So um, then as I went into school, um, growing up, we didn't have a lot of money. So I definitely couldn't go into school with having really cool clothes or having really cool stuff like that. So all I really had mm -hmm. was my character. And then around, um, I think, second or third grade, I got put in a special art class um, like an advanced art class. And there was an identity that I then got out of that. That was pretty powerful for me. I started being like realizing that, okay, I don't have the coolest clothes. I don't have, you know, my family doesn't have more money than my friends or anything like that. But <laughs> uh, man, I, I am really good at this art stuff. And it felt really good to get acknowledged for um, being really good at something. And that felt mm. great in it. You know, so at a very young age, I kind of, was able to navigate my way through just typical, like, I don't know, I guess social anxiety or um, just the terror of going to school as a little kid. You know what I mean? It like it very quickly that all faded away because I was known as a kid who was good at art and it defined me and I was able to spend my days doing art and getting better and better at it. And my parents couldn't have been more supportive. Um, buying me art supplies, buying me all kinds of stuff all the time. It was just a, it was like a very easy hobby and a very easy obsession to just kind of <laughs> get immersed in. And so anyway, I mean, I, I did that throughout, you know, I've kind of always been that. That's kind of always been my identity. Um, and then mm. around, I guess, the mid nineties, you know, my friends and I, like most kids our age, um, we started getting obsessed with bands like Weezer and Green Day, Green Day Dookie, um, mm. Nirvana, um, all of these, all that whole nineties alternative movement was just hitting us perfectly. Like we were the perfect age to really get like, for me, 1995 was like this amazing year. And I had to be 12 years old, I guess at the time, but it was this amazing <laughs> year where I was just becoming like, I was just becoming what, you know, defining what my own interests were. And that was mm. all of this beautiful nineties alternative stuff that I could participate in. And I think at that point, most kids, at least in my town, were all into like rap and Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer and Belle Biv DeVoe or whatever, right? That's kind of what everyone listened to. And then yep. I remember my brother watched uh, Green Day on um, on MTV and I was like, you like this band? And I, I think it was a week later, I became obsessed with them. And then it was, you know, history from there. So I think that my friends and I uh, naturally wanted to start a band. My, uh, my best friend, Zach was just like, he took a lot of, he just took a lot of interest in guitar. So he like, he would get the guitar and he would start being able to play stuff. So it was kind of being his good friends. It was natural for us to all be like, okay, you can start a band. How can we be part of this band? And um, <laughs> I ended up becoming, <laughs> I ended up becoming a singer. My friend Chad ended up becoming a bass player. And then Chad's brother, Josh ended up being the drummer. And I was 13 years old um, with a band. And so, again, it was another stage of my life where taking this unconventional obsession and this unconventional interest, different from what my peers were doing, um, gave me even more identity. So now I had been the artistic kid, but now, like, we had a band that was actually kind of good. And instead of doing whatever our friends were doing on the weekends, we were able to actually play shows and um, and that just grew and grew as we went into high school. And then um, essentially by the time we were 16, 17 years old, we started going to a music festival in Illinois called Cornerstone. And that's when Tooth & Nail Records started finding out about us. 
and by the time um, we were all 18, me, me, Zach, and Chad were all 18, um, we were able to sign this record contract with Tooth and Nail because I don't think they wanted to sign minors. So um, by the time we were 18, <laughs> we signed our record deal with uh, Tooth and Nail Records, and we went on our first tour a couple weeks after we graduated high school. So I think wow. when most of most of my peers were in college, um, me and my friends were living in a van, traveling across the country, playing shows every night. And it was pretty amazing. So I learned I a lot. I was going to say, that's, and, a, um, that, that's, a better, that's a better option. <laughs> yeah, it was for me. It certainly was for me. And, and, you know, so art is still weaving in and out of what I'm doing. You know, there's a necessity. Mm. There's like a punk rock necessity to being in a band. You have to make flyers. You have to make shirts. You have to make whatever it is. You have to draw something on the bass drum head, all that stuff, you know, all of that becomes part of um, the band. So my artistic mm. talent was just a necessity in the band. So then we would start playing bigger shows and, you know, like with local bands, they would say, ma'am, you guys have cool t-shirts. Can you design t-shirts for us? Um, and then as we would tour with bigger and bigger acts, we actually, um, you know, like some of the tooth and nail bands like he is legend beloved under oath bands like that norman jean they would then see our stuff and then want me to design merch for them so around oh two oh three i was starting to get a lot of design work for a lot of those other tooth and nail bands um and then it just kind of we did a tour with papa roach and papa roach was working with two separate merchandise companies at the time and then I started becoming a freelancer for those merchandise companies. So it all kind of led me to becoming one of the top on the list of all of these global merchandising companies uh, list of freelancers. So that was around 0203. And this is kind of the time where I'm overlapping my design work with my band because my band is mm. also at the height of its success around 0304. Um, but I'm also designing a lot of 0304. I've got my power book with me on tour and I'm designing stuff in the van and in hotel rooms and in green rooms and all that stuff. So I got to this weird point where I was making a lot more money doing the design work than I was being in the band. Um, and as much <laughs> as I love, as much as I love the band and, and I think we were perceived as be, as to be doing well, it was, it was a very black and white decision for me that um, it would be certainly more lucrative to go home and design full time. Um, mm. But also like as much as the band has much fun as the band was, and it's a once in a lifetime thing. It's like art has always been my first love. So it's a hard thing for people to understand who are a band or a fan of my band that I would ever choose some sit in front of a computer type job over <laughs> rock and roll. Right. But um, man, I love, I, I mean, music is like one of my, true, true loves. And I would love to be in a studio writing records and I'd love to do that all the time. It's just, there's only so many hours in the day. And, um, this design thing has worked out really well for me and it's always mm. been pretty steady. It's always been pretty, um, pretty great. So my wife and I got married around 2006. So I gave my t myself starting 2005. Can I actually make a decent annual income at freelance merchandise design? And uh, 2005 worked out. And I remember going to her parents and being like, you know what? I think I can do it. I think I can, I think I can marry her and I think I can support us. So in 2006, we got married, um, moved from Dayton, Ohio to Columbus, Ohio, which is only like an hour and a half away. And then we kind of started a new life. And ever since I've, you know, ever since 2005 and 2006, I've been completely 100% full-time wow. um, freelance designer. That is amazing. So it's, just, it's, orga it's organic how you've done it, which is brilliant. You know, 
um, and that you know it's to start so young, to start you know yeah. so young in the music industry, and then to continue through is not that heard of. So you know, well done. And and of course, the t-shirt design did that then lead into the album design, did it? Yeah. So I mean, I've been designing merchandise um, for a long time. Let's just say mm. from '05. Well, you could say till '02 if you want to do the, include the part time stuff in the van (laughs) but let's say 02 to 2017 um what is that 15 years you know so like 15 years of just trying to be more and more productive try to get a more and more efficient workflow to take on as much work as i possibly could and get it done i just really conditioned myself in a lot of ways to be able to be a machine when it came to this (laughs) freelance design work because I mean, you know, just the simple math would say the only way you're going to make a decent income is to do as much of that stuff as you can. Um, but at least it was steady. And at least I, I, you know, I told I did what I said I would do to, with all my clients. I gave them what I said I would give them. And hmm. I made a good um, I think I had a good relationship with a lot of clients. I, th- I think I made a good impression. That's why they came back to me for all that time. But the turning of the tide for me was realizing I was just, I was a cog in this much bigger music industry. Like I was just one little piece of this Mm. thing. Often you would get the album art. Okay. We're doing new shirts for Paul McCartney, right? Here's the album art, come up with five merchandise designs based on this stuff. So I would do that. And I was good at doing that. And I almost tried to ignore the frustration or obsession that I wasn't a bigger part of that. You know, I think people would look at my roster back then or all of my client list back then and be like, Oh my gosh, you've worked with Paul McCartney and Slipknot and Carrie Underwood and all these people. And I'm like, I don't know any of these people. They, these people do not know I exist. In this whole, in this whole ethos, in this, or in this whole, like, you know, entire machine, I am meaningless. So, and it, and it, I had my fill of doing it. Like I could do it as long. I, I kind of pushed it to the limit on how long I could stand doing it that way. I stayed focused. Brandon, don't try to be something bigger. Don't try to be a bigger part of the picture or whatever. Just keep doing the thing that you do and do it well. And you're feeding your family doing it. Just stick to it, right? I just couldn't do it. And um, <laughs> so around 20, around the end of 2012, um, there was this band in my town. Um, and Warner had been asking me to do freelance design for this band and I had heard of them, but this band called 21 Pilots approached me and asked me if I wanted to do some merch for them. And that was around the end of uh, 2012. So I just jumped in and went nuts and did like I did. I had to do 50 different merch designs at the very beginning just to kind of gauge like, hey, what do you, you know, what kind of stuff do you guys want? I built a new logo type out of that. I built some new elements that we started using on ad mats and stuff. But naturally for them, because they're very um, you know, they were a very grassroots, small team, mm. um, local type of thing where their friends are essentially the core of what their business is. It was second nature to them to just ask me to do every single thing that had to do with graphic or design or whatever. And so it was like, okay, cool. Thanks for all the merch designs. Let's do an ad mat. Okay. Thanks for the ad mat. Let's do another ad mat. Let's do this. Let's do this. We need another backdrop for this. We need this, this, this. So I just started fielding all these requests and I did all this work. And then, you know, that uh, that first vessel, that first album vessel had kind of faded down. And then, you know, mm. Tyler and Tyler and Mark 
uh, Mark Eshelman, they're, they're, I guess we're kind of co-creative directors. He's a con- content director. I'm creative director. Um, mm. They sat me down and Tyler very uh, <laughs> timidly introduced me to this character called Blurry Face. And they were like, okay, so let's do the album art. And okay, I'll do the album art. Let's do it. You know what I mean? Wow. And let's come up with this big concept. But like we all sat down together to come up with this big story behind this and really understand like, what blurry face was and what it represents and all this stuff. And before I know it, I'm having these philosophical discussions about the meaning of the album and the narrative and how (laughs) we can write the narrative so that everything stays in line longer down the road. Right. So is there a way that we could sustain this brand throughout the course of the album cycle? So what was happening there is I was starting getting, I was starting to get a taste of what it was like, if you could be 100% involved and dictate the entire creative process throughout an album cycle. And it was so amazing that Mm. anytime a band would ask me to do merch at that point, I would be like, Hey, you want three merch designs? Cool. Here's 30. I'm going to go nuts. Here's the, you know, it was like, I could no longer do just a little piece of it. So then I had a couple years there where 30 seconds to Mars, for example, I just did an insane amount of stuff for them because there was no way I was only going to do a small piece anymore. Um, you know, we started building, uh, some merchandise collections for Under Oath and, um, mm. Khalid and 30 Seconds to Mars, all these different things. We started blowing it up. So, um, essentially, I'm trying to figure out if this is the right way to tell this story, but on one <laughs> hand, I'm saying that I'm getting a taste of something with 21 pilots that is going to be very hard for me to ignore. And if mm. I'm getting the full control, full creative control of everything with 21 pilots, then how in the world am I going to keep being just a little piece in the machine later? So, um, <laughs> so at this time when I'm building these other collections, my friend Tim McTague from Under Oath, um, who also worked at a company then called Merchline, um, he put me in touch with this guy, Joel Cook, and said, Hey, this is Joel. You guys are going to work together on this stuff. I don't know Joel. Joel doesn't know me. Joel and I are both the type of people we don't really feel like working with somebody. We can handle it. We can do whatever. So anyways, I'm put to work with this guy, Joel. And what happens is I put all of these merch designs together and hand them to Joel. And then Joel gives me back this beautiful apparel collection built with my elements. And I'm able for the first time to see my work improved, mutated, amplified into something I didn't even envision, but made it like 10 times better. So Joel became this perfect little puzzle piece to what I did because kind of the stuff that Joel likes doing, I don't like doing. Um, and the <laughs> stuff that I like doing, Joel doesn't want to do, right? So we start realizing that there's something going on there and him and I work together really well. Well, we continue to build collections for a lot of bands. Um, but what, what really happened with all this is we're, Joel and I are getting a taste of working together. I am kind of going to the point of no return in regards to complete creative control. And around this time, let's say I'm now fast forwarding to around 2017. Well, I don't know that I, my, my problem has always been, will I be able to delegate this work? Cause it's always been the singular freelance sole proprietor mm. thing that I've done my entire career, right? It's very hard to delegate work. Joel was the only person I was able to delegate things to and feel confident, feel like it was still good or even better with Joel. So under oath contacts me in I don't know, summer of 2017. And they say, Hey, we're putting together a new record. 
we want you to design the layout for it, which is amazing to me. And, um, and we want you to come to the studio to hear where we're at with the record. So already they're understanding, like, you want me to design the record, but you also want me to come to the studio to get a feel for what's mm. going on, to start thinking about stuff, right? That's, they're already thinking the correct way. So I say, um, I would love to do this, but I want to get Joel involved too. So they're like, yes, we want Joel involved also because Joel is also a friend of Under Oath. So mm. Joel and I go to the studio with Under Oath in late August of uh, 2017. And we get the, we hear the record. Um, Aaron even gives me credit for naming the record because um, we listen there. And I feel like the God erase me line um, on that record was the most powerful line. And I was like, that's it. That's the whole record. Um, so we get there, we start having all the ideas. We're like, we know what we want to do for this. We start working with our label. Everything's going great. And then my pregnant wife goes into the hospital premature. And, um, <laughs> I have twins and twins no. who will now be in the NICU for two months. So this happened on September 7th and under oath had just had us in the studio a week before. So essentially the only way to get me to delegate is to stick me in the hospital for two months with my kids. I can't move. I can't go anywhere. I'm going to be at the hospital all day, every day. That's just the way it's going to be. So then that's me talking to Joel and telling Joel, Joel, I'm going to get home at midnight. I'm going to be able to design from like midnight to three. I'm going to be able to knock out this under oath layout, all of the art. I can do everything, but I can't do anything else. So you've hmm. got to communicate with the label. You've got to prep the art files. You've got to do all of that stuff. I can't do any of it because I'm going to be at the hospital all day, every day. So tension division was established. I was on the phone with my attorney while we were establishing the company, the official like LLC company, while I was walking back and forth to the hospital in October wow. of 2017. Meanwhile, Joel is uh, evacuating Hurricane Irma or whatever it was back then. So it was built with this tension. <laughs> you know, it's like there's there's all these elements of tension, all these elements of all this stuff that birthed this. So it was like you really had to put me through something in order for me to release control. And I'm really glad I did because Joel and I together um, have proven to be a pretty efficient system. And um, I, I am doing exactly what I want to do with Tension Division. So now with Tension Division, we do what we did with 21 Pilots, where we get to have complete creative control of the whole entire cycle. So the album cover is an amazing thing. But if you could see the huge story behind it, that album cover just starts feeling like 3% of what we're doing. You know what I mean? Like there's, so, there's the story we're 100%. building, the brand package, the you know, from the tour ad mats to the backdrops, to the stage design, to the video treatments, to the, you know, merchandise, of course, which is what the core of us you know, began as, um, mm. yeah, it's been a pretty amazing situation because we essentially become partners with these bands throughout the cycle. So it's and exactly what I want to be doing. Wow. I'm blown away. Just listening back to Brandon describe his beginnings of getting into art, music, merchandise, and where he's up to now. Over the next four episodes, we'll go in-depth with Brandon on artwork for 21 Pilots, Weezer, Angels and Airwaves, The Smashing Pumpkins, Beartooth, and so many more. And first artists off the rank are Beartooth and Under Oath. And as you'll hear, Brandon has some incredible stories, not only about the album designs, but about his connection with the bands themselves. 
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Undercovers, and I encourage you to go and check out the other episodes from Season 1 after you finish listening to Brandon's episodes, of course. Vibe. Machine.